We turn then in God's Word this evening to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 10 tonight, but asking you again to keep the scriptures open as we'll be referring throughout Leviticus 16 and then to other portions tonight as well. The breathed out word of God to us. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then shall put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel, two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for Aziel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Aziel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Aziel. Thus far the reading of God's word, at least this portion of it. Let's again bow in prayer. Father, it's been a beautiful day outside, but it's been even more beautiful in here. This morning we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Tonight we've now read a portion of the gorgeous word, uh, Leviticus 16. And now Pastor Bob is going to lead us with a message on the Day of Atonement. And we pray for him. We pray for this congregation that you will open our hearts and our minds and so that we can t- take in all that we hear. All this we ask in Jesus' name. And amen. So first of all, some notes about the book of Leviticus. Uh, we are still on our series of creatures of the Bible. I'm still waiting for some of you to let me know how far you are, how long your list has become. Uh, some of you said, well, my l- list is in the the 40s, um, 
I've got a feeling if we read Leviticus carefully, we'd probably find 40 just in Leviticus as well. It is a book full of animals because it is a book that deals with all kinds of issues for the people of Israel. First of all, Leviticus gets its name from the tribe of Levi. It is about the work of the Levites. It is about that tribe of Levi. Remember last Lord's Day when we were at uh, Mount Sinai with the golden calf. It was the Levites who stepped forward, who said they were the ones who were on the Lord's side. They took the sword in hand, slayed 3,000 of the fellow uh, Israelites who were involved, however, in the pagan rituals around the golden calf. Moses then commended them for that work and set them apart for the Lord's service. The book of Leviticus tells us what that was. It goes into a lot of details. A lot of things maybe we think are unimportant in this day and age and yet are very important because the entire book points us to the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's one thing the book of Leviticus does. It covers the work of the Levites. Secondly, it deals with the types of sacrifices that the Israelites are to bring. The animals that are involved, the sheep, the bulls, the goats, the heifers that are to be brought before the Lord and used as sacrifices. It details the name of sacrifices, the reason the sacrifice is given, the type of animal that is to be given, what the priest is to do with the animal. All of those details of all of those sacrifices pointing us once again to Christ. Thirdly, the book of Leviticus also gives instruction for feast days and festivals. It tells us what the people of Israel are to do on certain days when they look to the fulfillment of the kingdom. Now, if you stop to think for just a moment, all of those, once again, point us to Christ. So the entire book is for that purpose. This evening, we're going to take one little snapshot. We're taking out one chapter of this book dealing with all of this information and looking at it and saying, what did they do here, and how does this foreshadow or shadow the coming of Christ? So first of all, let's then deal with this Day of Atonement. In Hebrew, this is Yom Kippur. That's the name, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Yom for day, Kippur for atonement. The Day of Atonement. The Jews still celebrate this day. If you're of the Jewish faith, this would still be a day that's marked upon your calendars because they do not believe in the fulfillment by Jesus Christ. They're still looking forward to this, but they have a problem, and their problem is there is no temple, there is no place of sacrifice, there is no Ark of the Covenant, there is none of that stuff that makes it possible to do what Leviticus 16 tells them they have to do. So it is a day of great mourning. Because none of their sin is being dealt with. Because they can't. 
They need all of that stuff restored. The Messiah still needs to come. Well, you and I can rejoice in the finished and completed work of the Day of Atonement. It's a done deal. Yom Kippur. This year, by the way, it will be from 6 p.m. September 27th to 6 p.m. September 28th. And about that time of the year, you'll start hearing about this. Okay? There have been famous wars fought during this time as well over there in the Middle East. Um, but you'll hear about it. So don't be, what's this Yom Kippur? Well, you're going to learn what it is tonight. It's the Day of Atonement. First of all, we need to note that the Day of Atonement was going to be a special Sabbath. It's not a, the end of the week. It's not the seventh day of the week Sabbath. It's a special Sabbath. So it's a day that comes some other time than on the normal course of a Sabbath day. If you take your Bibles, as I mentioned before, and move down to verse 29 of chapter 16, we hear that instruction given. Verse 29. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. Makes it pretty abundantly clear, doesn't it? It's a Sabbath. It's a Sabbath of no work. It's a Sabbath when they are to be set apart. When? Well, that was answered here too. It's on the tenth day of the seventh month. Anybody notice anything unique about that day? Tenth day of the seventh month. If you think back, Passover actually begins on the tenth day of the first month. Because on the tenth day of the first month, what did they do? They selected the Passover lamb. They selected that which was going to be offered. Now, they don't offer it till the 14th day, as we learned this morning, but it was selected. So Passover technically begins on the 10th day of the first month. When is this? The 10th day of the seventh month. What do you notice? Exactly six months afterwards. Six months to the day that Passover commences with the selection of a lamb. On the tenth day, we're going to select a couple of goats. How? How do you celebrate this day? Well, two things are noted. One, no work, right? Verse 29, shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns within you. So, in essence, the same rules that apply for the weekly Sabbath apply for this special case Sabbath as well. But they're also to afflict themselves. At least that's the way the 
ESV reads. Probably some of your versions clarify what to afflict oneself means. It means to fast. It means a day you go without eating. You set it aside. This is a day to reflect. It's a day to reflect upon your sins. It's not a day for feasting. It's not a day of celebration. It's a day to think about that which you have done and the work that God is doing in regards to your sin. So, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It's a Sabbath, a special Sabbath. Secondly, it involves Aaron as the high priest. The only one, the only official that's actually involved in the work here are not the other priests, are not his sons, and actually not the Levites. One exception, we'll get to that. But the person who is really involved is Aaron. Aaron as the high priest. There is what I find to be an enormous amount of detail spent on Aaron's clothing. Right? We, we learn in the verses that I read, correct, about his clothing. He's to put on, and we could just say it, his linens. It's linen this, it's linen that, it's linen this, it's linen that. It's the stuff that God had commanded that the high priest wear. It is the clothing of the high priest. This is what he is to put on on this day for this act. But you know, it's not only there. Go down with me to verse 23 of chapter 16. It tells us he goes in with those clothes. Look at verse 23. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And then he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement. More stuff about his clothing, his attire. Go down to verse 32. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. More stuff about garments. One of the things this passage does is it says that when the priest does his duties on this day of atonement, there is special clothing that he is to have on. Probably have made the point. Secondly, before we get to the two goats, though, before we get to this goat for the Lord and goat for Aziel, something else has to happen. What's that? Well, Aaron has to make atonement for himself. So there are all sorts of regulations given to Aaron by which he must take the blood of a bull, blood of a ram, he is to, with that special clothing on now, take that blood in to before the mercy seat. So we're now behind the veil, 
That separates the holy place from the most holy place. He goes into the most holy place. There is the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, there is the lid, the mercy seat, with the two cherubim. He is to take the blood that he's carrying in a bowl, and he is to sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Then he is to walk out and take the blood, mix it with the sin offering blood now, and he is to go to the altar that is outside of the tabernacle, the big brazen altar, and he is to take blood and he is to sprinkle seven times on each horn of that altar to cleanse the altar. So first he's going in, Okay, as an act of cleansing for himself because he is a sinner. He has sins. Before he can do the work of the priest, he, or for the people, he himself has to be clean. So he's got to go in, take this blood, sprinkle it there. Then he comes out. Now we've got to sprinkle the altar because the altar has sin too, as it were. So it needs to be purified. It needs to be cleansed. All of this needs to happen. Precise details as to what he is to do, how many times he is to do it, how he is to do it, where he is to do it. Now you might say, why all the detail? Well, one, if we put chapter 16 in context, look at how it begins. Now, after the death of Aaron's son, Remember his sons, Nadab and Abihu? Yeah, you find them back in chapter 10. They're the two sons of Aaron who thought they could just go into the tent on their own. They could do whatever they want. They were priests, so they could go in and they didn't have to offer things according to the way God said it. They could just do it whatever way they felt. And God burns them with fire. Their bodies are incinerated, but not their clothes. Their clothes are left intact. Everybody knows, whoa, this wasn't just some explosion of a sensor. Right? Because if their clothes are gone and their bodies are gone, somebody might think somebody put gunpowder in their sensor. They went in, lighted the sensor, and kaboom, everything blew out. But the clothes are fine. They don't even smell of smoke. But their bodies are incinerated. There is nothing left of them. God had given orders as to how this was to be done. Nadab and Abihu said, ah, we're going to do our own thing. When it comes to the Day of Atonement, now the, the chapter that follows this immediately in terms of chronological order. Here's what you do on the Day of Atonement. And I'm going to be precise. Don't mess it up, Aaron. Don't do your own thing. Do exactly what I tell you. You need to be obedient to the T, Aaron. The third thing then that comes okay, here is not only the clothing, not only the sacrifices, not only the procedure, not only that this is a special day, not only that it involves Aaron the priest, but it's these two goats. So let's pick it up again at verse 7. So he's made the atonement for himself. He's got his special clothes on. Okay. Then he shall take the two goats 
set them before the Lord. Now he casts lots. One of these goats is for the Lord. The other goat is for Aziel. So he casts the lots. One goat will call the Lord's goat. The other goat will call Aziel. What do you do with the two goats? Well, the Lord's goat you offer as a sin offering. You're going to kill it. You're going to kill the goat. You're going to sprinkle the blood of that goat on the mercy seat to make atonement for the sins of the people. This is what you do. The second goat, the Aziel. Let's just, just stop there a minute and say, that's kind of a crazy word. What, is, what does that Aziel word mean? Well, we could interpret it as the scapegoat. That, that would be a definition we could give it. Probably more precisely, it's called the goat of removal or the goat of the wilderness or the goat of departure. Naming it after that which is going to happen. So the one goat we took, we killed as a sin offering, blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. The other goat, Aaron places his hands upon the goat. He confesses the sins of the people of Israel. I don't know how long that took him. I don't know how precise he was. Some commentators argue the fact that this is the sins of the people in general, not in particular. So he's not talking about so-and-so's sins, I confess that sin, but the sin of the people in general of Israel. They're complaining, their stiff-neckedness, that sort of thing. They're following other gods. Not, Joe looked at a woman lustfully. Lord, I, I, I put that as a sin on the head of this goat. So it's the sins of the people. Then they take the goat. Some man is given the job. Here's the other guy who comes into the account of, of the Day of Atonement. Some other guy is given the task to take that goat and to walk and to walk and to walk and to walk into the wilderness, into the desert into the land of Nowheresville, into the land where the goat isn't going to find its way back. He leaves it there. The goat is left on its own, removed from the camp, removed from the people, removed from the presence of the Lord. When the man comes back, there are special procedures. The man who has been close to this goat, he may not have even ever touched the goat, but he was close to the goat. The goat that has the sins of the people, obviously, it's represented, right? So this is a, 
sinful goat. This is a guilty goat. This is an unclean goat. And the man has been close to it. So the man is now unclean. So they give, God gives in Leviticus 16, special procedures that this man now has to go through. Then they take his clothes and they take all the remnants of all these offerings, they make a big pile of it, bring it outside of the camp, and they burn the whole thing. This is the Day of Atonement. This is what happens on this day. This is the commandment that God gives. This is the procedure they are to follow on the, seventh, on the tenth day of the seventh month. What is that all about? What's this passage telling us? Besides some very unique ceremony that may be quite mystifying for a lot of people. Well, the book of Hebrews is probably the book that if you want to interpret Leviticus, as you read Leviticus, you need to read Hebrews. Hebrews helps you to understand what Leviticus is all about. If you just read Leviticus, you're going to get lost in everything that's happening. But when you read the two side by side, things become a lot clearer. It becomes much more focused. And you begin to understand that this book of of Leviticus is a shadow. It's not the reality of that which was to come. It only points to something. Just as I I have told you many times, a shadow is not the real thing. It's a real shadow, but it's not the reality. Right? If I put my hand up, okay, The shadow of my hand is a real shadow, but it's not really my hand. This is my hand. That's the shadow. Leviticus is the shadow. It's a real shadow. Things really happen in Leviticus, and they really do what Leviticus says. But the reality of that which is happening is found in the book of Hebrews. But before we go there, I find it extremely interesting that we spent so much time on the clothing of the high priest. And when I turn to the Gospel of Luke, and when I turn to the Gospel of John, I hear two very interesting things reported to me. That when Jesus died, They took him off the cross and they wrapped him in linen garments. And when I turn to the 20th chapter of John and I get to the account of Peter and John coming, it's like over and over again, linen, 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 linen. Those gospel accounts are screaming out. Why all this linen associated with Jesus? Hebrews is going to tell us. Hebrews is going to tell us that Jesus is the great high priest. He's no Aaron. He's greater than Aaron. So let's leave Leviticus 16. 
Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Okay, so let's let Scripture now interpret Scripture for us. We're going to start in chapter 7. So in this passage of chapter 7, we're talking about Christ as the high priest. Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Listen to this. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. Do you see where Hebrews just took us? Hebrews just took us to the fact that Jesus is a high priest. He's a high priest who is holy and blameless. Therefore, there was no need for a sacrifice to atone first for his own sin. He didn't have to do what Aaron did. He didn't have to offer that bull, bring it in for himself before he could offer for the people. Why? Because he is a high priest that is without stain. He is a high priest without sin. He is a high priest unblemished by the world. Since he did this once for all. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So the first connection we need to make with the Day of Atonement is, as we read Hebrews, there is a high priest. The high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. That high priest is perfect because he is God. But he is also human in that he represents us. And he is able to offer a sacrifice for us without offering one for himself because he is without sin. Secondly, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. So not only is Christ the high priest, Christ has become the atonement. So he's not only the offerer, the high priest, he is also that which is offered. Just as those goats symbolically represented the goat of the Lord, the sin offering, sprinkled on the mercy seat, the blood of Christ, sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Father, makes atonement for the sins of the people. Your sin, my sin. That's what's going on in In Leviticus 16, it's it's shadowing that. It's not a reality of that. It shadows that. 
Not all the bull, not all the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. Only the blood of Christ. Well, why did we shed all that blood? Because it points us, it points us to Christ. It points us to the reality. What really is behind the shadow? What, what's the reality that the shadow portrays? Christ. Those goats, that goat of the sin offering, the Lord's, the one that is the Lord's, represents our atonement. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Remember what Aaron had to do? What the command is? He has to take the blood, and then he has to go past the veil, then he has to go to the inner room. Well, that that was a shadow. The shadow of what? The reality of Christ going into the temple? No. The reality of Christ bringing and offering his blood to the Father in glory. He didn't have to go through a man-made temple. He entered, verse 12, once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves. Interesting, isn't it? Blood of goats and calves. That's the very two things that are included in the Day of Atonement. The blood of the bull and the blood of the goat. But he enters not by the blood of bulls and goats but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls, or of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? God. What's the point of that? That it's not by our own works. It's not by our own efforts. It's not by our own rituals. It's by the blood of Christ alone. It doesn't go through some man-made temple. It doesn't go through some animal sacrifices. He offers himself. What is the effect of that? What's the effect of the Lord's goat being slain. It's a sin offering. I will remember your sin no more. The sin is atoned for. But there are two goats upon this day, isn't there? On the day of atonement. There is the second goat. The goat of removal. See, that goat was to signify to the people not only were their sins atoned for in the death of the first goat, That's the picture. But the second goat, having that goat have the sins of the people confessed and then taken away, is the goat of removal. That those sins don't linger. Those sins don't stay. Those sins aren't there tomorrow. Those sins aren't there the next day or the next day or the next. They don't come back. They don't come back again. They don't come back again. The goat 
is led away to the wilderness never to return. It's gone. Our sins are gone. When we come to Christ by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit, every sin that we will ever commit in life is gone. And if there is some book somewhere with all the actions that you have ever done, for those of you in Sunday school class this morning, the video, right? The movie, the portrayal of one's whole life, right? In Christ, there is nothing there. Oh no, there is something there. Christ. Christ. Christ, 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 Christ. The pages of my life on the pages of your life. Not one sin is written there. Just Christ. Because our sin has been removed like the goat. Want to see it in Hebrews? Hebrews 9. Once again, verse 15. Therefore... Why? Because he offered the blood, because he's entered sin offering, because he's made atonement, therefore, here's the result. Here's the second goat. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance since the death occurred. Yeah, the death of the first goat. They receive the promise. The promise of what? An eternal inheritance. Never are those sins coming back to take away that which rightfully belongs to us now in Christ. Turn to chapter 10. Find verse 14. For by a single offering, He, Jesus Christ, by a single offering, by his death on the cross, beneath the cross of Jesus, by a single offering, he has, what's the word in your version? Know what it is in the ESV? Perfected. Tell me, what tense is the word perfected? Future? Is perfected a future word. He will perfect. He's going to perfect. It may happen. It likely will happen. What is the word perfected? It's past tense. Meaning what? It's done. You're already perfected. In the eyes of God. In the view of God. Through the lens of God. Through the eyesight of God. You are perfected. Why? Because not only is your sin atoned for, your sin is gone. It's in the wilderness of Aziel. It's in Nowheresville. It is gone. Never, never, never to come back again. Gone. Oh, what does it say? 
He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. But I don't feel that way, Pastor. No, you're right. Nor do I. Here I'm being sanctified. Here I'm in that process. But for God, it's done. See, there's no part way. There's no, well, you know, I was getting my act together, died. Don't know, glory's waiting. No, I die as a believer in Jesus Christ. If I die as one who looks to Christ alone for my salvation, if I look to Christ as the one who is my atonement, who shed his blood to cover all of my sin, then when I die, there is the assurance that I have already been perfected here. And the same is true for you. Not a maybe. Not a might. Not a could. It is, it is well with my soul. The day of atonement has occurred. It took place on a hill outside of Jerusalem. It is finished. He offered himself once for all. It's done. And the result is, as the mediator of a new covenant in his blood, as being in Christ, not in Adam, you're perfected. I can sing. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for an Old Testament day of atonement that points us in all of its details to the glorious work of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, in whose name we pray. God's people saying, Amen.